Algar Productions. Despite the title, the following podcast is most decidedly not for kids. This is the Kids Love Batman podcast with your hosts, Matt Robotham and Ron Algar Watt. Episode 4, POV and The Forgotten, with Brian Lynch. Hi friends, we're back and uh, we got another guest. Sometimes mm-hmm. we have guests and this is one of those times. Hi Brian. Hi Al. Al, Matt, yeah. pleasure to be here. Brian, pleasure to have Good you. to have you. Oh right, man, so I'm loving the show. show so far. <laughs> yeah, it's... It keeps breaking down this weird way where mm-hmm. we get one pretty good episode and one not so good episode. What episode that is not that? The way I request episodes to be on this uh, show is that I, I, I do not look at the two that I'm getting. I only look at one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I requested, because, you know, Alex request, I requested um, one good episode and one bad episode. I said, give me whichever one you want. He gave me the bad one. Um, but I was very pleased that it has almost always shaken out that I've ha- been on a good show, bad show week. Uh, and I love those. So I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. They're definitely the most fun to do. I didn't saddle, like deliberately saddle you with a bad one. What I did was every episode that everyone chose was way late in the run, and I don't know when we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for anyone who had chosen something in the first 10 weeks. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I definitely was not accusing you of saddling me, and I didn't remember what order they came in. Like, the well, right. the one that I thought of, I know, was the second Mad Hatter episode, so it presumably mm-hmm. came after the first Mad and he's not a villain. They went back to that often, so mm. I imagine yeah. that one's pretty far along. Um, I, there's got to be some Jervis Tetch like super fan out there somewhere, but uh, I mean, I like. The, I do have a, the, when the time comes, I do have show. a pretty solid Roddy McDowell impression. So that shocks me. It is that is shocking. Uh, it, I, I will say, as as a fan of this show, I've been listening to it. I there are um well, listen, I'm not going to call it nitpicking, but I have a little bit of information to add to some questions that you've had, and rather than waiting for a supplemental that may never come, um. Okay. Uh, so one thing, um, Two Face is not responsible for the death of Robin's parents. Um, oh, that was right. f- they added that for the movie Batman Forever. That's it's a mobster it named Tony Zuko uh, ah, in the comics. So the, that's right. God, I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah, the connection of Robin to uh, the like Harvey Dent, like the whole thing. That's although, as we did find out, these episodes um, uh, aired in a bonkers order. <laughs> As typically happens with many cartoons. So that definitely could have been the case, but in this case it wasn't. Uh, and then also you were trying to work out the exact like realm of like WBTV animation. Um, it basically goes like this. Uh, Tiny Toons uh, came out uh, and was syndicated. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was because like they started trying to do TV animation in the 80s, but Tiny Toons was the first one that actually hit. Mm. And then um, Fox bought it in most markets. And so they developed Animaniacs specifically for Fox and also Batman for Fox. Uh, right. And then the year the Batman the Animated Series ended, the WB started. So Animaniacs moved over to Kids WB um, with um, Sylvester and Tweety, Freakazoid, uh, and they were doing Batman reruns. That makes sense. Okay. Then a year after that, they did Superman. A year after that, new Batman. So that's that's how that all shook out. That's also around well, when I... it started becoming difficult for me to watch episodes because we didn't have Kids WB. Oh, no. You didn't have the WB? No. Did it not exist in Canada? No. Oh, weird. We just play with like some of the shows would play on some other network. I remember watching Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries. Huh. I'm sorry. Yeah. Important a storm. Um, uh-huh. the, the other thing is when I wrote down my list of like the first run of Kids WB shows, I also P plus TB, which I don't remember what that actually means. Pinky and the Brain. Oh, Pinky and the Brain. That's because it yeah, was a separate. Sense. When Kids WB started, that's when they spun them off from Animaniacs. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, there you go, Brian. I I appreciate your uh, your your dedication to facts. I actually knew all of that stuff and don't care all that much. But uh, don't take that as a uh, now. As I've a got slight. some thoughts about Road Rovers. Oh boy, how about we talk about Batman? How about that? Oh, very well. Yeah, Al, why don't you tell us about Pav? Oh yeah, Pav. <laughs> Let me just do that very thing. I'm gonna go guest star on Kids Love Road Rovers. <laughs> Good luck with all that. <laughs> Okay, we open on two uniformed GCPD officers racing to the scene of a terrifying but absolutely gorgeous warehouse fire. 
One of them is some rookie who cares. And with a name like that, he was sort of destined to join the force, but never really amount to very much, poor bastard. <laughs> the other is Rene Montoya, who is tough as nails, though let's be honest, Will Riker was always a bit of an old softy, and does not have time for anyone's bullshit. So naturally, she has to work with Harvey Goddamn Bullock, the bumbling detective who might be the largest single supplier of bullshit in the greater Gotham area. Case in point, while Operation Stunningly Rendered Conflagration is happening all around him, Bullock is having a little nap next to a dumpster, a situation that he immediately blames on Batman. But I get ahead of myself. Cut to some time later down at the precinct. Some lousy internal affairs so-and-so is questioning the three cops about how they managed to bungle this elaborate drug lord catching operation. And I learned something new because I didn't think you could bungle anything but a caper. <laughs> Jim Gordon is also here, casting a wary squint glance at this stuffy bureaucrat who's being mean to his precious children. Then his precious chunky load of a child, Bullock, gives his version of events, which he immediately blames on Batman. There it is. Up to and including the part where he, Bullock, slips on a tin can and falls butt-first into a pile of butterscotch pudding. <laughs> Next up in the Rashomon Round Robin is Officer Rookie Who Cares, who describes seeing Batman as a quasi-religious experience. He opened his hands and the sort of magic sharp glitter just flowed forth from his fingertips. Then he flew through the air like a sorcerer without the aid of any kind of obviously visible grappling hook that makes a very loud and distinctive sound when it's fired. Geez, between this kid and the lady last week who thought she'd seen a leprechaun, criminals aren't the only superstitious and cowardly lot in this town. <laughs> Finally, Montoya steps up to the mic and tells her version, which is clearly the correct one, and ends with Batman dying. Well, I mean, we cut to commercial after a bunch of flaming boxes collapse on him, and obviously they wouldn't toy with our emotions like that, right? That cut to commercial act break is a sacred covenant between storyteller and viewer, and is only used to reflect the most serious imminent danger. So the lousy chief, or whatever he is, demands that all three of them hand in their guns and badges, but Montoya can't leave well enough alone and returns to the scene, where she finds that Batman is not dead, as we all obviously assumed he must have been, and then she does her part to rescue him while, out of professional courtesy, doing everything she can not to show the obvious crush she's developing on him. Trust me, the way he talks to her and even smiles at her, Batman never smiles. There's no smiling in Batman. It's no wonder that she wants to marry him like so much Marsha Queen of Diamonds. <laughs> to be clear, this is my own headcanon, because again, externally, Montoya is nothing but professional. Also, if she's anything like her comics counterpart, she doesn't actually swing that way, despite literally swinging that way with Batman through the air like magic, as her idiot partner would have it. <laughs> she also completely holds her own against an assortment of thugs, toughs, and ruffians, and their mysterious boss, whom I can only assume is known as the Monocle. The Penguin will obviously have this guy shanked to death in prison for biting his style. She makes liberal use of materials at hands, which in this case includes a heavy lifting crane. Look, they might have taken her badge, but nobody in the GCPD has the authority to take away her Class C license. <laughs> then the cops show up five minutes after the worst of the danger has passed, because if there's one constant in every single version of Batman in every possible world of the multiverse, it's that. And since this police department basically runs the same way as Starfleet, the ends justify the means, Montoya, Rookie Who Cares, and Bullock are reissued their badges and their guns. Gordon throttles that lousy internal affairs guy forever doubting his perfect flawless angels. Then Bullock belches, scratches his ass, asks if there are any donuts left, and when there aren't, he immediately opens a new case file alleging that Batman stole them. <laughs> That's our Harvey! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, the 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 bumbling idiotization of Bullock, as Bob pointed out last uh -huh. week, was was swift. Continues apace. I yes. um I read the first few appearances of Bullock relatively recently, and mm. um, it's really interesting because because when he was introduced, like he was he was straight up corrupt. Um, oh, this is the seventies. Yeah, the the mayor had him like his job was to sabotage Gordon's career by being incompetent. And it was oh, one of those, yeah, it was like an arc that ran like in the background of like, I don't know, like 10 issues or so. And then he mm. gave Gordon a heart attack with one of his and, wacky pranks and felt and bad was it, and recovered. And like, was it always obvious that that was the plan? It wasn't a retcon to say, oh, this idiot is around because it's an evil plan. It was always. Like, no, no, no. It was, it was like when Gordon walked in and saw Bullock, like at his uh, desk, he was like, I fired you. Uh, you know, I, I, I kicked you off the force for corruption. And he's like, yeah, mm -hmm. but the mayor put me back in here. And then like, he's. You know, it, it, they're not shy about it. Um, right. Now, but uh, and then he he's a good he becomes a uh, a good cop after giving yeah. Gordon a heart attack. And then post crisis, they were like, "All right, he's just been a good cop the whole time, just you know, dingy around the edges, but not yeah, he's dirty. just gross." Yeah, yeah. But the no, thing and that and struck I... me the most is he wears. You know how in in comics of the seventies and eighties, code for this person is a lout was wearing a bright orange or purple plaid suit. <laughs> 
I boy, didn't, but that tracks. Boy, I sure wish he had one of those here. Well, I feel like a kid's cartoon has to deal, like even a good kid's cartoon like this one has to deal mm-hmm. in sort of like broad, you know, you have to paint with a broad brush. So yeah. like, it's probably hard, especially early on when a lot of spec people were writing the show to, to, to get the nuance of him and just like, oh, a uh, fat character who doesn't like Batman. He must be an idiot. Like, <laughs> I can see them just jumping to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. He was definitely better in this one than last week when he, he every single time the cops ran out of the room, he ran back in to get another donut. That was yeah. rough. Yeah, I could be solving be- crimes or I could be eating donuts, and I know which one I'd prefer to be doing. But it's it, like that very first appearance in the Man Bat episode. Like, mm-hmm. I... I wanted to call special attention to just how competent and kind of dangerous to Batman he seemed because mm-hmm. I knew he turned into this. I just thought it took a little time. I didn't <laughs> think it happened immediately. Uh, but, you know, it's good to see the way the cops work. It's mm-hmm. weird to me that children would care about any of this. I mean, as a child watching this, I didn't. Okay. Uh, I like this one. We were talking before we went on, Mike, about the... Um... Uh, about the mob episodes uh, and how they were mostly very boring. I remember liking this one as a kid, though. I think, like, this is my first exposure to this type of episode. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. Like, this is a cool thing to show kids. Like, you can sort of give them that that, that idea. No, sometimes people lie. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> the truth is not, is like, a thing that people sort of collectively decide on. No, and in, in a world-building sense, it's good to show Batman is not the only good guy in town, that there mm-hmm. are people out there trying to stop crime, and they're just, like, they're overwhelmed sometimes. Yeah. Like, kids, like, okay, I have complicated opinions about this now, but as a kid, <laughs> it's probably good to say, this is what the cops are supposed to be for. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, ideally. <laughs> I, that's why I said supposed to yeah. be for. Mm-hmm. Again, complicated opinions as a grown-up. <laughs> but as a kid, you can't just say... Batman is the only one allowed to solve crimes and everyone else is an idiot. Yeah, it's not Mm. like it's the 60s anymore. (laughs) Right. And that was all obviously very tongue-in-cheek anyway. This Mm. is, you know, a little more serious. But if only we could solve any crimes in this city. My favorite thing about about the 60s series, I think I mentioned this on an episode of Pa for Unrelated Purposes, was Mm. um, how in the first, like, ten episodes, Commissioner Gordon always gives a speech before picking up the back phone, like... We only ever do this in the most dire of circumstances. We swore. Yeah, I we don't know who that man is under that mask. Yeah, oh, yes, I don't know who he is, but we can. He picks up the bat phone, and then, like, after a certain point, it's like, ah, Commissioner, I lost my keys. Call Batman. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of leads me into my kids love Batman thing, though, mm-hmm. which yes. is drug lords. That's the, that's the bad guys this week. Drug lords. Mm-hmm. Now, you're both about the same age, right? So mm-hmm. you both would have been what eight or ten, somewhere around there yeah. when this when this aired. Did you even know what a drug lord was? I they were drug drugs. dealers. They were... I knew what drugs were because Michelangelo really didn't want me to do them. Yep. Okay. But did you really know what they were, or did you just understand, like, have a vague understanding of this hazy concept of something called drugs? Here, here's how it is: drugs are bad. Drugs uh-huh. are sold by drug dealers. Drug mm-hmm. lords are who drug dealers work for. Yes, but did you know what drugs were? Al, let Bad. me let me tell you about a little program that was on when I was a child called Cartoon All Stars. Just say no, ah, which oh, features which features a scene where Alvin and the Chipmunks open up a small box full of drugs, and Simon says, "It's pot, you know, marijuana," <laughs> and it's the funniest goddamn thing I've ever mm-hmm. seen in my life. That's that's amazing. Uh-huh. But my point is, I don't think most kids, and they shouldn't. Yeah, most mm-hmm. kids don't have the context for what this really is. No, it's definitely not. It's like, bad. it's just another version of like bad guys with bags of mo- of money with dollar signs on it. Like you don't understand what it is in concept. You just know that it's a bad thing. Bags of bad guys just want. chuck around all willy nilly. Yeah, but this is this is the main conflict of the mm-hmm. episode: is these yeah. bad guys are are drug lords, and then the cops like there's there's an internal affairs investigation. Like, who is this for? That I will say that actually confused me more because like as a kid I could go like, okay, drugs are a bad thing. Lord mm-hmm. means like important, so a drug lord is an important bad guy. But internal affairs, like I I didn't realize that there were cops for the cops. Yeah. That's it's like I was, cops. I was far wait, from, cops I was can far be from bad. Realizing that, uh, 
that yeah, this, they this should episode, probably do their jobs a lot more. Mm. Um, this episode focuses so much on the cops. Like, Batman's mm-hmm. there, but he's yeah. more of a peripheral character in this one, which he, is a, a great choice. But He doesn't have a line in this one, does he? Uh, I think he does. Yeah, he does. He has a couple of lines. Oh, that's yeah, right. That's not, right. Not when, they're, when they got him all strung up. He, yeah, he doesn't talk in the first part. But, Can I come down yeah. now? <laughs> My arms are getting tired. <laughs> Hello? Guys, time out. I look weirdly naked without my belt on. <laughs> he uh-huh. does. Every I mean, not Batman as bad takes... as. Oh yeah, not as bad as when he wasn't wearing his cape in that Joker episode. <laughs> that was fucking weird. I always love it when he's in the uh, uh, in the Batcave and he's got like one glove off. Mm-hmm. You're like, what the heck? Batman? Put your glove back on. <laughs> you look weird. Drives Alfred nuts. <laughs> I see you've left your gloves lying all over the the cave again, sir. It's just one glove, Alfred. Jesus. And now it's covered in bat shit. <laughs> it's called guano. <laughs> I don't know why I turned Batman into a petulant teenager, but... Uh... <laughs> Shut up, Alfred. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> You're not my dad. My dad's dead. <laughs> I all made, right. I made you the sandwich. Alfred made that sandwich. I made him make it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's start with some good things. Brian, what do you got? Oh, uh, good gravy. The goon design was great in this one. Yeah, um, goon design. The goon design. So this show occasionally suffers from pretty generic goon design. Um, I <laughs> I just like that as a turn of phrase. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just a great uh, yeah, the great design of the it. goons. Um, so I, I, do you, you suffer know. from GGS, <laughs> generic goon syndrome? <laughs> <laughs> well, I described the goons in the next episode as uh, when we were watching it as like one of those books where like you turn the middle of the page and the person's got a different shirt on, they got different pan, different hat, um, depending on which part of the page you're turning, mm-hmm. and that seems to be what they were doing for goons there. Uh, but in this one, they were like, "Oh, what have we got? We got a dude in a powder blue suit with a scar on his face. Uh, we got a guy in a big black coat with a face like Rondo Hatton. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got this fat dude with an ascot and like dainty little kid gloves." Uh, we got a dude in a tuxedo for no reason. <laughs> and then we got their boss, who has a monocle, a walking stick, a derby, and a fussy little mustache. I love it. They're like... Yeah, he's the, uh, the Clock King prototype. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the thing about all, pretty much all of the sort of street-level goons in this show is mm-hmm. that they're pretty much all dressed formal. Like, mm-hmm. you don't get a lot of the guys with the pullover sweatshirt like you got in Batman 66. They're always wearing suits. Well, this now, is the... Because they're all gangsters, like... Mm-hmm. They're just, yeah, but that's the but scientific not, gangster right there. The thing is, most of what I know about the mob comes from The Sopranos, which was supposed to be pretty well researched. And your your like your street level muscle guys didn't dress like that. It's your made guys who dress like that, mm-hmm. like the important ones. But your your big goons, mm-hmm. there's no reason for them to dress like that, except for the that they might be dressing for the job that they want. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I love that. Like you know. Oh no, I think it's great. Like it's that it's that forties thing again. They're all dressed like forties mobster. Like yeah, and you and just like in any movie in the forties, you can't leave your house without wearing a hat. Like yeah, you just it's like not wearing pants. You have to wear a hat. Mm-hmm. Even People that one riot. dude, they had the they had the dude in the, like the newsy hat and like the the mm-hmm. chaplain mustache. Uh, and right. even he was like just like a little just a little bit fancier. Mm-hmm. Than yeah, you that's would the, I mean some of them some of them do dress down a little, but they're mm-hmm. yeah they're they still put some some effort into their work listen i'm going rather listen i'm going to a drug deal i'm not wearing my very best double-breasted suit yeah i'm not gonna get this covered in heroin come on (laughs) uh matt what was your good thing uh i actually you mentioned this in your summary i really like the rookie's version of what happened with batman (laughs) where he's like shooting sparks out of his hand and zaps the car with a ray like oh god he's such an idiot it's like it's that it's it's getting back to that like version of the truth thing I was talking about before. It's like we as the audience, the kids watching as the audience can see like how he's jumping to these conclusions and how he's wrong. And I like that a lot. And how did you get to the uh, warehouse in the first place? Oh, well, Montoya put me into a box and then it propelled down the road at amazing speeds. <laughs> do, do you not understand a great how iron horse? Do you not understand how technology works at all? I sure don't. What are these glowing orbs in the ceiling? The thing is, if he'd been a regular guy, mm-hmm. I would have bought that or or like a kid. But he's a <laughs> cop who presumably went through a police academy that was not taught by Steve Gutenberg. And he should know better. No, he's a 19-year-old uh, uh, rookie. 
Also, I really like the idea that like he's one of those people just like no Batman's Batman's like a horrible monster that lives in town. No, I like that. I like that take on Batman, and I like that you know, especially idiots mm-hmm. think he's some sort of weird magic vampire, <laughs> or possibly a leprechaun. <laughs> no, he's no, a hunter on, of leprechauns. His cape isn't green. Let's not go crazy. <laughs> Robin is a leprechaun. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Mm-hmm. This is all elaborate long con to get uh, Bruce's pot of gold. <laughs> I mean, he must have at least one. Yeah. I mean, the, the Waynes have a lot of money, like an ungodly yeah. amount of money. I'm, I'm sure some of it is in pots. <laughs> Probably. Most of it is in sweater vests of the next episode. It's sweater vests <laughs> and graves. Mm-hmm. And cars. We did see uh, in the next episode the... Uh, the requisite rich guy collection of like fancy cars. So I usually I, like look. Yeah, I usually like looking at Batman's car collection, but only when it's Batmobiles. Well, yeah. I kind of like that he does have like a shitty studio baker though. Like, <laughs> I also would say with a big thanks to the Muppet movie for allowing me to identify that studio baker before Alfred mentioned it by name. <laughs> Batman in his is, natural habitat. <laughs> if I and and we will we will say this until the show ends, but nobody knows how ago this is. No, but. <laughs> But let's assume it's the year of production, 1992. Assume away. A a Studebaker is not crummy in those cases. It's a 50-year-old vintage car. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those cartoons aren't tying together anymore. (laughs) No, I'm saying it's the the crummiest of his fancy vintage cars. It's... (laughs) It's still ridiculously nice that a poor person would never be able to even get near. But uh, Alfred, well, come, Alfred, give me the poorest car I have. <laughs> Wait, do, well, do we dislike the Forgotten so much that we're making fun of it before we even get up to it? Oh yeah, I, apparently. <laughs> I mean, we're saving the the big part of it for. Uh, <laughs> I'll say we are. It's very rude uh-huh. to refer to him as the big part, Al. <laughs> uh, well, that episode was rude to me, so it doesn't deserve <laughs> like politeness. So. My good thing for this episode, this is the first time we've gotten to look at how Jim Gordon runs his actual department. Mm. Like, apart from being the Batman liaison officer, actually seeing what he does, like being a leader. And he's great. He stands behind his guys. He tries his best to de-escalate the internal affairs, attempts to sow discord. Like, he he so clearly tries to turn them against each other. There's, there's a couple of things in their statements where uh, the rookie, or Montoya, I don't remember, one of them says, like... Uh, uh, we we got there on time. Bullock must have gotten there early. And uh, and then this piece of shit says, uh, oh, so you think he was trying to grab the collar away from you? Like, just trying to put mm. these ideas in their head and trying to turn them against each other. And Gordon's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nobody said that. Fucking back off. Mm. It's very well, good. Bullock said you look like a jerk. <laughs> hey, I'm standing right here and I didn't say that. I mean, he does, but I didn't say that. <laughs> But then, like, he straight up loses his temper when, at the end, he doesn't recognize that Montoya fucking, with the help of Batman, solved this thing. Yeah. Like, he, I, I just, I like, we, we talked about this when we covered Star Trek, like, being surprised that Worf was a good boss mm-hmm. to the security guys. And, like, uh-huh. we don't see Jim Gordon very often actually doing his, like, this part of his job. And it was, it was nice to, oh, yeah. yeah. He's good. He's looking out for those. No, guys. I, I, I mentioned this a couple of a couple of times. This is when I started to actually like Jim Gordon as a character. You know, like he's not there as just a guy the Batman talks to. Yeah, yeah. Like I he's mean, got his own shit going on. He's his own hero yeah. in his own way. You know. Yeah, he's trying his best. And yeah, he's not the idiot that uh, Brian described from uh, from Batman sixty six. He's, he's yeah. doing his best. Turns out his job is only eighty five percent Batman. Ten <laughs> percent caring about his cops, five percent getting his hair to do that thing. I mean, that thing probably takes a lot. Like, <laughs> there's a special product that does that. That the Egon swirl, as I call it. I imagine that's what they make over at Ace Chemical. <laughs> <laughs> he just he's like, oh, it's been a hard day. Opens up his uh, you know desk drawer, takes out a can of mousse. Spray. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's the stuff. Look, I know, I know the DA. I know Harvey Dent wants to shut down Ace Chemical. And look, if we're gonna get a couple of jokers, like that's okay. If my hair gets to look this good, <laughs> a couple of jokers. You gotta get some jokers. <laughs> now Harvey now, Dent, he's say... a Dapper Dan man. <laughs> <laughs> well, he will be. <laughs> oh, at least half of him will be. Yeah, that's what I mean. The the, uh, the wild half of him will definitely have some style going on there. <laughs> Um, 
but uh, the the Harley Quinn show, which Brian turned me on to and which is fantastic, mm. I've mentioned this before, mm -hmm. has introduced an entirely new take on Jim Gordon <laughs> that has threatened to eclipse all of them. So it's extra impressive to me that this one still managed to hold my attention after I have that one in my head. Listen, Jim Gordon and his wife are doing fine. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Batman hasn't called me. We're not friends outside of work. <laughs> oh, so good. Listen, guys, uh, if you're on the fence about that show, just know that there is an episode that is a a buddy episode between Jim Gordon and Clayface's severed hand. <laughs> mm -hmm. that's, that's true, and it's quite good. All right. Uh, bad things. What do you got, yeah. Brian? Well... Okay, so I originally I wrote out a whole thing about that it was a missed opportunity that they didn't go full Rashomon, um, which, by the way, we've mentioned a couple times. For those that aren't aware, Rashomon is a, a very good Japanese movie that you should see, um, where uh, three different people tell their version of what happened uh, at a trial, and mm -hmm. you actually see it the way they're describing it. And so I thought it would be like a waste opportunity to not show three different versions of the same thing, and maybe in one version the um you know batman actually is shooting sparks out of his hands and whatever uh but then it was with the time they had it wasn't feasible to show the exact same events over and over and then wrap up the story so i i, I gotta say each of them seeing a third of it and then hearing their perspectives by narration actually worked pretty well so instead no, of and they played the um sorry real quick yeah, oh yeah, they, yeah they played the unreliable narrator thing with bullock in particular very mm. good because yes he's describing himself as a goddamn hero while you watch him fucking bumble around and uh <laughs> That was very good. Um, yeah, no, no, I particularly liked, um, they were distracted by some kind of noise as he trips and falls. Yep. Yeah. Um, very good. The thing is, that's, the, apart from him claiming he rescued Batman, nothing he says didn't happen. No, he's, he's not just, lying. He yeah. just perceives himself differently. Well, that's, 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 that's bull. He's dingy, not yeah. dirty. Um, yeah. but yeah, so my, my, my new bad thing is this. Um, I'm pretty sure Matoya's partner is dirty. <laughs> <laughs> um, they made such a big deal over the fact that they got there late, and Montoya was like, no, we didn't get there late, and Bullock's like, no, I'm positive I was there on time. And sure, maybe Bullock's just an incompetent oaf, but I think a more sensible thing is Montoya's partner changed the time in their cop car. See? He's so he doesn't understand yeah. how basic technology works, but he can reset a clock in a car, which a fucking astrophysics professor can't manage. <laughs> well, the two... most difficult technical task of our time. Mm -hmm. Two things about that. First of all, he's playing the long game, and I'm positive they're setting him up as a major villain in the future. Um, okay. And number two, he's, these are 1940s gonna be the cars. Head. All you had to do was turn a little dial. Ah, uh, that's fair. Mm. Um, no, but really, it was it was that they really set up, and I was like, all right, the the the. The timing thing is going to be important later, and it wasn't. They just no, they, no, they, they hammered that home like seven or eight times during the questioning, and you're right, it went nowhere. So yeah, they I hung just... that gun up over the fireplace, and then every actor that came in looked at it and said, oh, nice gun. And then uh, in Act 2, they just did not mention it at all. <laughs> yep. See, I just assumed Bullock was lying. But that... It could be, but they didn't, like, usually this kind of show, like mm. this show, is mm -hmm. well written enough that they would make that very clear. Sure. They would say, uh, oh, Bullock. Oh, oh, look at that. My watch stopped. Or, you know, or at least whatever. when Bullock's telling his version of the story, like they show his, you know, they show they did show the interior of his car, which is a fucking mess. Um, <laughs> which I Covered can in Hardy's wrappers, which was great. Which I can <laughs> relate to. Um, but like they could have shown him getting out of his car and shown the clock at like, you know, 645 when he's like, it was seven o'clock and I realized I had yep. to go in. And yeah, no, they just just. I expect a lot of this show, and this is a sign of the quality of this episode that my bad mm. thing is kind of nitpicky, but, um, you know, the, 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 there was set up and no payoff, and... Yeah, I think I think all of us managed to find something to complain yeah. about, but, yeah. but nothing that came close to ruining the episode. No, it's a I'm very not, good I'm episode. I'm not mad Batman the Animated Series, I'm just disappointed. I'll be mad at you <laughs> in a second, but... <laughs> uh, so, along those lines, Matt, what do you got? Um, it was real nice of nobody to think of unmasking Batman while they got him all tied up. <laughs> like, I realize he's in control of the situation at the time, but the goons don't know that. All I'm asking for is one of those scenes where someone tries to take his mask off and it electrocutes them or something. I like that shit. I, uh, that was Cobra Commander. Is that Cobra that. Commander too? I, I mean, think, didn't maybe he have Batman an electro it, mask in Batman Returns or something? I, it, I definitely in uh, in uh, Dark uh, Dark Knight they do that. Yeah, I mean, I 100% defer to your bat knowledge, but, but, I've definitely I, but I also seen it. know that Cobra Commander did it. Yeah, but I've definitely seen it in the comics, too, or, or like it'll shoot gas at somebody. 
Mm-hmm. Batman, who's your mask guy? <laughs> uh, the episode where that happened, by the way, Cold Slither, the best episode of G.I. Joe. You'll be joining uh, us soon. A band of vipers <laughs> playing their tune. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I learned to play that on the bass, and it was like the best day of my entire life. I'm so life. proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, because there's no tab for it. I had to figure it out. Sure. Okay. Um. So my bad thing, I, I, Matt, I, that, that is a valid bad thing. Mm. But I've got to say, and I'm gonna I'm gonna include myself here. I think you have now used that. Oh yeah, because we're gonna be in this situation a lot, and you like that's it. You mm-hmm. you fired that gun. You can't do it again. I mean, just that's like fair. I will one time when I can't find another good thing say the backgrounds, mm-hmm. and then that has to go away forever because, like on our Star Trek show, where every week we just wanted to say Patrick Stewart is a good actor. We like you can't. You, you, that that kind of kills the idea of critical discussion when we just pick the same goddamn thing every week. I can find something else to be a pedant on the about. Credits. <laughs> What's that, Matt? I can find something else to be a pedant about. No, as well you should be. Like, <laughs> let's pick. Let's pick every part of the show apart. Is what I'm saying, mm. not just the same parts. Uh, so my bad thing. I love Montoya. I mentioned this. I think it was last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her voice actor came off a bit wooden. Like, her reads on a few things were weirdly stiff. Like, yeah. they were noticeably recorded away from everyone else. And I, I know most voice acting works like this, but it was more obvious here. In particular, the way she says bullock, like it's two syllables she's never seen together before, just reading them and saying, how do you say this? Bullock. Rather than a name she says a dozen times a day, goddamn bullock. <laughs> like, it, it just, it was really obvious. Yeah. And... Brian, you pointed out that they will actually change voice actors for her. Yeah, they do. They do replace her, and before the uh, before the redesign, because I thought it might be one of those. Mm-hmm. Like I know, um, uh, they they switch at least a couple of actors when they. Well, yeah, uh, the Scarecrow's to... Jeffrey Combs after the Scarecrow. Yeah, Scarecrow's Jeffrey Combs. They switch back girls. Uh, I don't think. She, I think mm-hmm. she's. I don't think she was Tara Strong before the redesign. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. I, I think she, she was. Something, maybe maybe I'm thinking of something else, but, but there's a couple. Um, and I know that they Paul Williams was the Penguin for a couple yep. of his uh, redesigned appearances, but then it was David Augenstiers. Uh, oh, but right. in this case, they 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 recast her before the redesign, and mm-hmm. her her current actor is not a um uh is not a voice actor. Um, ah. she's 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 a character actor. She's been in stuff. She played Lupe in Stand and Deliver. Mm. Um, okay. And the replacement, uh, whose name I forget at the moment, but it, I recognized her name from the end credits of a bunch of cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I more, don't know. More of one of those jobbing voice actor types. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're just one of those. Like, oh, yeah, she, she's, she plays yeah, but this like... show, the reason that I mm-hmm. wanted to call attention to all the voice acting and the reason oh, yeah. I will sing Andrea Romano's praises until I, I mm-hmm. die is because so many of the people in the show are not primarily voice actors. This oh, was yeah, either yeah. their first foray or... Foray, named after June Foray, obviously. <laughs> uh, or, you know, like, they they never did it before or since. Like, yeah. There's a, a weird collection of talent in here. And, Brian, you actually pointed this out before I got into the doc, that uh, two different people who played the Beast in versions of Beauty and the Beast were in this episode. <laughs> yes, uh, our Hey, It's That Guy is the uh, the rookie was played by Robbie Benson, who was the Beast in um, the uh, Disney Beauty and the Beast. Oh. Uh, and he's, he's also doing a really mediocre teenager voice. <laughs> Robbie Benson is a, a talented voice actor, but he has a very unremarkable voice, and that has worked against him sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, just as a personal, my, one of my favorite bits in the animated Beauty and the Beast is that the one line he sings, because he clearly couldn't figure out how to sing it in his Beast voice. Mm-hmm. So the Beast talks like this the entire time, until he sings. <laughs> and when we touch, he didn't shudder at my paw. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then the uh, uh, Driller, who is the Rondo Hatton-looking thug, uh, mm-hmm. so named because he has a drill, uh, is yes. Ron Perlman, uh, who was on the TV Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, yeah, opposite r- the beauty played by Linda Hamilton. Yeah, and it had to be right around the same time. I think that was an early 90s show, and the yeah, movie yeah. was 89. Uh, yeah. and Or maybe 90. Uh, or actually, no, it was 91. I'm triple-guessing myself. Hmm. Um, but the... Because uh, it was the same year as Silence of the Lambs, because that's what it lost right. Best Picture to. Um... Uh, I mean, but yeah, fair. no. It's, it's, uh, Ron Perlman, by the way, who does almost nothing in this, he has like one spoken line. I thought he was Clancy Brown. 
<laughs> and uh, apart from that, it's just. Uh, 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 I'm Batman. holding the drill. <laughs> uh, even that's giving him too much credit. It'd be more like, hey, drill. <laughs> well, that got that got uh, cut. That's on the cutting room floor. <laughs> and his one line, but his one line was also very genuine. He was like, "You got it." But no, he's like, "My pleasure." When he's asked to mm-hmm. attack. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's, it's the kind of shit Ron Perlman could do in his sleep, and he was great. So maybe he just wanted to be in Batman. Or maybe Andrea Romano was like uh, playing the long game, and she's like, "I'll get you in for this," and if they like it um, later. He he does something on the series. Oh, he's a uh, dove. What am I thinking? He's Clayface. Is he? Uh, yeah, huh. yeah. But he's also in um, uh, Justice League. I was in Justice much League. later. So yeah. Hmm. So he'll you know he'll stick around. All right. We got oh, anything and, uh, else about I, this one? I do have to say on the hey, it's that guy that I um. I initially wrote down in the Hey, It's That Guy section that the internal affairs guy was Stacy Keach, and then I looked it up and it turned no. out he wasn't. And then watching the episode again just now, I still couldn't tell it wasn't. That dude does a really good Stacy Keach impression. No, you, you have that same thing I do, which is you hear a voice and you're like, wait a minute. I know him from something. <laughs> I know then, from something. You know, uh, yeah. Ron Perlman has played uh, f- s- uh, six parts in the DC Animated Universe. Yeah, so he'll he'll be around. Oh right, he I mean, was, he's he, got a he's, he's got a good voice for those big guys. Yeah, he oh, was yeah. a, he was fake he was fake General Zod on uh oh yeah uh, on uh, Superman. Jack Sir, is that it? Uh, Jack Sir, yeah. Who to be yeah. fair is from the comics, but they really just made him into Zod for the animated series. Yeah, that's okay. And he was uh, Orion on just on uh, just yeah, that's League, who I was and, thinking. Uh, mm-hmm. He yeah. he was Heavy Man on Batman the Enemy or uh, Batman Beyond. Well, there will not be a better transition to the next episode than Heavy Man. <laughs> Unless you guys have any further points for POV, I think we can push forward. Uh, I think we should probably move on to the shitty one. All right. Brian, why don't you tell us about the adventures of Heavy Man, a.k.a. The Forgotten. <laughs> yes, a.k.a. The Forgotten, a.k.a. Oh, Batman, where art thou? A.k.a. <laughs> cool Hand Bruce. <laughs> That's pretty good. This episode... Trust me, I went through a lot of chain gang movies before coming up with those jokes. This week's episode starts downtown, where the folks are broke. Downtown, where your life's a joke. Downtown, when you buy your token, you go home to Skid Row, where Batman is volunteering at a soup kitchen. Uh, well, uh, Bruce Wayne is volunteering at a soup kitchen. I apologize that the hilarious mental image that just went into your head does not pan out. His friend that runs the place thinks that people have been going missing from the area. Aha, thinks Bruce, time for a semi-insensitive disguise. And with some gray hairspray, some beard stipple, and a newsy hat, Bruce goes undercover as Gaff Morgan, the world's only hobo George Clooney impersonator. Gaff wanders around poking his head into alleys until he finds himself set upon by Captain Haddock and Harry the Horse. He quickly makes milk's meat of them and then stops to look at a kitty, and a third goon that I'm too lazy to come up with a comedy nickname for saps him from behind with a blackjack. Head trauma! His one weakness! <laughs> He wakes up chained to a bed and learns that he has been kidnapped to work at an illegal Old West mine in the desert. Well, that's one thing he knows now. Literally, that's the one thing he knows. He's got the amnesia. No clues to his identity, apart from the fact that he's gorgeous, built like a dump truck, and his hair is full of spray paint. (coughs) Fortunately, any chance of this episode about the exploitation of homeless people and how they're considered expendable by society being taken remotely seriously is completely thrown down the mine shaft with the arrival of our villain, Boss Biggis. A fat, gluttonous oaf who acts like if Big Daddy and Shrek had some sort of unholy criminal baby. This ogre's got life in his body, Gooper. That's no lie. Gaff quickly adjusts to life under the thumb of Jabba the Mine Operator. (laughs) Despite constant troubles like cave-ins, bad foods, and nightly dreams where he's got clean hair, an ugly brown suit, and more money than God. Eventually, Alfred, boy detective, shows up in the Batwing in a scene that I'd like to say sounds is less stupid than it sounds, but is in fact rather stupider. Batman makes Boss Biggest explode by giving him a wafer thin mint. <laughs> and they all live happily ever after, having defeated a villain who is so stupid he thinks he can gain an advantage fighting Batman by turning the lights off. <laughs> this week on Star Trek The Next Generation, a psychic ambassador dumps all of his bummer emotions into Deanna and makes her an old lady. All things considered, not the worst thing an ambassador has done to her. I assume that's a reference to her mother. <laughs> yes! It's a reference to her terrible upbringing. <laughs> And yet I love her mother. <laughs> I do too. Uh, so this one. Uh-huh. Piece of shit this one was. I... So last week last week we yeah. said the bar had been set for terrible villains, <laughs> terrible episodes, and Matt, you believe we have already cleared that bar. Oh yeah. Uh, well 
in a manner of speaking, the bar was stumbled into and knocked over. (laughs) (laughs) By Bullock, weirdly enough. (laughs) Who looks thin and svelte compared to this guy. I, this is embarrassing. This guy is a a fucking embarrassment. Okay, this is my bad thing. Like, Uh it took one week to find a worse villain than the Sewer King. Like, take take his level of (laughs) annoying screaming... But then also make him a nameless, excuse me, not nameless. I learned from <laughs> yes. Brian that his name is apparently just Boss Big Ass. Yeah, but did they call him that in the episode? I don't not know that I ever they, heard. I don't know if they did. I I, I, uh, I I admit that I took that more from the uh, uh, the end credits than from the episode. Right. But, like, he's just a giant fat guy just coated in stains like it's a third skin and constantly chowing down on an enormous chicken leg. Also, his voice is phlegmy. Like, Sewer King was terrible, but at least he wasn't blatantly offensive, too. So, I, I, I was reading about this, and this this kind of backfired, but I understand the it motive sure for making It sure fucking did. <laughs> yeah, but, but I understand the motive for why they made him like this. What they said was, for one-off villains like this, when you mm-hmm. don't have the Joker or Two-Face or whatever, you, you have to make them memorable in some way. You have to give them some characteristic, some way to, like, uh, stand out. And so... They didn't try hard enough. They went with their first draft and then went to lunch. They mm-hmm. said, uh, let's make him a big, disgusting, fat guy. Good enough? Okay, done. <laughs> but I get I get where they're coming from. I get... Because they're right. In in episodes that don't feature the, the guys we all know and love, like, mm-hmm. who <clears throat> fucking cares? You gotta give them something. But yeah. This... this like, like a cool monocle, for instance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this, not it. Yeah. Oh, or there's this. <laughs> this is... This is terrible. Uh-huh. He, uh, it's insane. He's, he's, he's waving his little fan around. Oh, yeah. Um, he's, he's, everything about him is the worst thing about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, he's a comedy fat man who we're meant to take deadly seriously because he runs a slave camp. Uh-huh. Well, he's looking for gold ore. Which, I okay, guess. well, let me just do my bad thing right now because yeah. he, here's the thing. Um, Gotham City is is in my home state of New Jersey. Now, I travel a fair bit. Uh, I enjoy going on long drives here and there. I've been all over the state. Uh, I can assure you there are no sweeping desert canyons full of secret gold mines just outside of Hoboken. <laughs> so you were saying that, that in the DC universe, at least, they've, they've sort of codified that that's where Gotham is. Yeah, it was they put out an official map of the DC universe for a role-playing game, and mm-hmm. even though nothing had been like officially stated before that, Pretty much all the DC writers are like, okay, this map is our official thing. So uh, Gotham's in New Jersey, uh, Metropolis is in Delaware. Uh, so does that mean New York City doesn't exist? No, New York no, still exists. The th- Nightwing yeah. used to work there. So there's um, another giant sprawling city right next to New York, and then another one right down yeah, like the river? In the mm-hmm. JLA Avengers crossover, the Avengers figured out that the uh, DC Earth is 125% the size of the uh, Marvel Earth, and that's to account for all the fictional cities. <laughs> ah, that makes sense. Well, it could be worse. We could be watching Batman versus Superman, where Gotham and Metropolis are literally connected by a bridge. Yeah. See, I what the animated people have said mm-hmm. is, like, design-wise, yeah. uh, Metropolis is the bright, hopeful New York City that we always wished it was, uh-huh. and Gotham is the horrible... New- like, they're both New York, mm-hmm. but... Like, the the hopeful, optimistic version of New York and the gritty, mm-hmm. crime-ridden version of New York. Yeah. And, but even still, I always, in the back of my head somewhere, thought it might be Chicago. There's a couple of things, and I don't remember where that comes from now. But regardless, there are no giant metropolitan cities like this, like with this yeah. look in the Southwest where this clearly takes place. Mm-hmm. The, there aren't even any in so the biggest city we have in South Jersey is Camden and its population's like 70,000. Um <laughs> and Gotham yeah. by the way is uh, according to that map is in South Jersey where we got we got nothing but farms. We could have had them farming for this guy. I'm just kidding. He doesn't eat vegetables. <laughs> See, and I thought they were underground for a minute maybe. Like you thought they were yeah. underdwellers? Yes. I no, they were under underdwellers. <laughs> like there's the sewers and then under that there's these like caves under Gotham. I don't know. Like I'm renting my basement out to this fat guy. <laughs> oh, thanks, Sewer King. <laughs> my my air conditioner's broken again. I have bad news, I ate one of your alligators. Those children are delicious, by the way. They're like veal. If you break another toilet, it's coming out of your security deposit. <laughs> 
oh, landlords, they're the real bad guys, am I right? But I, I don't know. It's comics, and there's secret underground caverns all over the place, and I thought maybe. But then Alfred flies the fucking Batwing there, <laughs> out fr- like descends from the sky, so that kind of killed that theory. So, who knows? <laughs> Did anybody make Alfred flying the Batwing their bad thing? <laughs> I... It's definitely among them. There were several. Mm-hmm. And they... I can't deny that I laughed. There was some good... Just some good comedic timing, a good mm-hmm. performance. But it, they basically turned him into C-3PO. Like, oh dear, oh dear, what do I do? And it was terrible. Is this, well, a, it, is this, is this the first Symbolist episode? Or... No, it was a couple couple back. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Um, This is definitely the first one where Alfred's had like a meaningful role in the plot. Uh, yes. You know, following. Not just being a yeah. catty bitch at the Batcave, yes. Well, I, li- I really like watching him do actual detective work, you know? Yes. Like, well, even that if was it's just, yeah. like, tracing Bruce's car, you know, and just sort of, oh, he must have gone here, and then I'll just put this tracking device on this car. Yeah, and, then, like, he looks and he sees which one of the cars is missing, and he looks at this and looks at that, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool, Alfred Detective, there's one good thing about this episode. Yeah. And then he shows up flying the Batwing wearing a sensible sweater and... <laughs> Flight helmet. He's like, oh, oh, let me down, you bucket of boats. That's <laughs> not a joke. Oh, he literally says that. And then yeah, the the, the Batwing says, it is not safe to land. He goes, oh, land right now. And the Batwing says, again, I'm not making this up as a joke. Your funeral. And then yeah. it lands safely, by the way. So, and yeah. Like, I was thinking about this. It's like, sense. so Batman must have programmed this. Yes. <laughs> this thing that he personally does not use because he knows how to fly the Batwing. I, sometimes he has to have it fly remotely, like to come pick him up or whatever. Well, and then it's like, okay, fly around to get me. You got it, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You look great today, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you are doing everything you can to help. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I needed to hear that today. You're my your, best friend. <laughs> your Thanks, father would way. be proud of you. <laughs> are you doing anything later? You want to get like, I don't know, a beer or something? <laughs> Um, I I think maybe we should just uh, stay work friends. (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. I got a thing anyway. I forgot. So we just turned the the Batwings AI into Jim Gordon from the Harley show. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) I'm going to go with Clayface's hand. My actual bad thing was I appreciate them trying to give Bruce some sympathetic friends in Arizona Canyon homeless (laughs) fat camp question marks. But the one dude, short, looked like he was modeled after James Cagney, had a lot of Wiseacre, Weisenheimer, smart aleck one-liners that grew tiresome almost immediately. Oh, that's gotta hurt! You know, that kind of thing. That's, Just... again, like, they're trying to make distinct characters. And well, the other guy, the the dude who appeared to be the first dude of color in Gotham, mm-hmm. maybe, so far? Yep, as far as we except, can tell. Except maybe Harvey Dent. <laughs> Yeah, this is a conversation that I'm not sure how to have, to be completely honest. It's, it's, it definitely is possible, and I want to be respectful and all that. I just mm-hmm. don't know how to talk about it without, like, uh, straying into some territory I'm uncomfortable mm-hmm. in. But this guy, clearly supposed to be black, and, like, he was sympathetic. He, he left his kids behind, and he was worried about them. And, like, it was, yeah, he, he, was a, he was the only non-homeless person that went missing. He was a, yeah. uh, well, except Batman. Yeah. Uh, but he was a volunteer at the soup kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he was, like, he was nothing. Like, this episode's nothing, and, and kids must have been bored to tears by him. But, we were. But he was, a, like, an okay guy. Like, yeah. They didn't write him as a joke. They wrote him as a character. And, mm-hmm. and then his sidekick was... They were like they were like uh, twins from the movie Twins. All the bad characteristics went in the short guy. Like literally, his first line is Batman wakes up. He's like, "Where am I?" And the guy's like, "Well, it ain't the Carlton or whatever." You know? Yeah, just and that that between him and the fat guy, just <laughs> it's me, the funny one. Uh, oh, are you the funny one because you proclaimed yourself the funny one? That's yeah. exactly what he is. He's somebody who wants to be the funny one. He's the Michael Scott of this uh, hey, of this death camp. Bought a book of 101 uh, great dirty jokes, and he just keeps it with him. He's, pri- he's prison Mike. How do you think of all these incredible butt jokes? <laughs> well, to be honest, there's a lot of material to work with there. Uh-huh, that's I cool. heard that. I mean, he literally makes a fart noise uh-huh. when the fat guy walks by. <laughs> by the way, the big fact guy, Boss Biggest Dickus, is um 
voiced by George Murdoch, mm. who played the Admiral in Best of Both Worlds, the, the, oh. the craggy Admiral who shows up and like, all right, Picard, here's Shelby, your new first officer, and you, you got to mm-hmm. stop the Borg. Oh, I'm dead. Oh, I didn't Mur- recognize him because at no point does he go, Picard, <laughs> I brought you a new crew member. <laughs> She's going to get me gold. <laughs> gold ore. My precious gold ore. I'm pretty sure they were mining for gravy. <laughs> <laughs> Setting up like gravy rigs, like I you would finally found oil. the big rock candy mountain. I'm gonna strip mine it. <laughs> All these guys were singing about it, but I found it. <laughs> uh, Brian, I'm gonna skip your good thing because it kind of dovetails with mine, so we'll get to it yeah, in a yeah, sec. Yeah. But uh, Matt, what do you got? I love seeing Bruce helping out as Bruce Wayne at a soup kitchen. Um, one of my favorite things in the world that they don't show a whole lot is. Batman being Batman any way he possibly can. So it's they not do just actually like show it a fair amount through this series. They sure. they show Bruce doing this kind of thing a yeah, lot. Yeah, and I, I it always makes me happy. Like I love like Batman Batman goes out and is Batman, but he also like he gives to charity, he helps people get jobs, he rehabilitates criminals, like all yeah, that at, stuff. At the end when the homeless guys come back to the shelter and he's like, "Look, when they find out he's a billionaire, he's like, I I can get you guys all jobs if you want." Yeah. Like he doesn't just right away in his fancy car he he continues to offer to help yeah yeah like i I like i like seeing bruce as a good person who's you know handing out his infinite amount of money to whoever needs it yep no and actually there's an image uh this this kind of uh ties in with my good thing Mm. uh the dream sequences as he's gradually like trying to piece together who he is uh were there was some pretty good imagery there yeah i like that stuff a a lot actually there's a good one where He's walking, and there's some clearly like down on their luck people. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're drawn in rags, so obviously they're not doing great. They didn't just tear their pants; like something's wrong. And mm-hmm. um, uh, he he hands them money, and he hands more of the money, and then he's just like overwhelmed by these like people who need him. And his reaction is not, "Ugh, I'm irritated by all these needy people." It's he actually cries because he can't help enough. Like yeah. the the animators put this great sort of sadness in his face. Like I want to help so bad and I just can't do enough. And it's, it really got to the heart of the character. And there's another bit where I was about to roll my eyes. Cause it's like, he's looking at himself in the mirror and his reflection starts talking to him. Like, oh, I fucking hate this trope, but then it turns into the Joker, mm-hmm. which was kind of cool. And that mm-hmm. actually segs in, segues into what Brian wanted to say. Yes. Uh, which is that, uh, Kevin Conroy plays a decent Joker. They, mm-hmm. uh, they did not get Mark Hamill in just to record some laughing, uh, nor did they pull any archive laughing. But the uh, the Bruce laughing segueing into the Joker laughing uh, was mm-hmm. done by Conroy, and he did he did the shift very well. So you know, credit to him. Yeah. He's he's played a bunch of like he he does a bunch of minor parts. Like he was like the waiter at the restaurant where Harvey uh, Harvey and Poison Ivy were having mm-hmm. dinner, for instance. Or he plays like a random cop here and there. Um, but. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was, that's mostly pretty generic voices. No, they so animated... for him to have to do something as specific as you need to do the Joker. Yeah, they animated the Joker like they normally do. So mm-hmm. by this point in the series, you've already seen him twice. You expect that laugh to sound like Mark Hamill, and it's not jarring. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, that's, that's yeah. that matches what I'm seeing. Actually, that's, now that I think about it, it's possible they didn't have Hamill when they were doing this because... That's true. Mm. Might have still been Tim Curry at that point. I'd have to yeah. look up that production versus whatever order because, yeah. yeah, actually, did you guys um you uh, just so you, uh, Hamill actually tried to play Mister Freeze originally? I think I, um, I remember had, reading. That I knew somewhere. he wanted to be someone else. I didn't yeah. realize it was. Yeah, he he went for Mister Freeze, and they were like, "We've already cast Mister Freeze, but you know what? We got this like slimy corporate guy in this episode. Could you play him?" And mm-hmm. so he's in the Mister Freeze episode, and like, oh my as god, he, that's right. And so yeah, he was he was doing like a Phil Hartman like uh like a Weasley corporate dude. Yeah, smart yeah. guy. <laughs> and uh as he was leaving, he was like, Hey guys, listen, if there's any villain parts, like if you like what I did, and if there's any villain parts, I'd love to play a Batman villain. And then well, like we the week one. after we that they were we've heard of him. <laughs> that was it, the week after that they were like, uh, Curry's not really working out. Mm-hmm. Give Hamill a shot. <laughs> yeah, and what I love is that he is fam- like famously a huge comic book nerd, mm-hmm. which in the early 90s like way less uh, oh yeah you know of a thing like you you find actors all the time now who's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah i grew up reading comics mm-hmm. or whatever but uh you know back then not 
not so common. Well, it's not oh, and, back and then. He, it was embarrassing. It, like it wasn't embarrassing yeah, to talk there, about. There's that, but also just they weren't as prevalent. Like mm-hmm. you could buy them on a rack at a drugstore, or there were some comic stores, but not like they like blew up in the '90s. Mm-hmm. And that like you had to go way out of your way to get them, and you know it was just harder to do it. Yeah. So and he definitely cool. didn't. It was not like. His agent said, "Like, hey, this Batman game came out. He found out they were making a Batman cartoon. Was like, I want to play. I want to play a villain, and I wanted to be. I heard they were doing Mister Freeze, who hasn't shown up in the comics for like thirty years, and I want to do Mister Freeze. He's probably been thinking about that since he was a kid. I know exactly what this character sounds like. Mm -hmm. I want to do it. There's that one Animal Man comic where he meets Mister Freeze in like the land of lost characters, and he's like, I think all I need is somebody to take me seriously and give me a good origin story. I was a list. I was on the TV show three times, and like four years later." Yeah, yep. we'll talk about this in only a few weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, sorry, uh, I don't want to cut off your Mr. Freeze material. I just, I like oh, this no, show no, no. so much and I'm excited to talk about it. And I hate the forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's he's one of the characters like the Clock King and there's a few others where it's just like nobody thought anything of this character. And mm-hmm. then someone came along and said, you know what? There is an excellent idea here. Why doesn't somebody do this good? Mm-hmm. And this show's so good at that. This, this whole universe is so good at that. There's a lot of Superman guys like that. There's Justice League guys. Yep. Like, who thought I would ever care about Hawk Girl? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she was one of the best characters on Justice League. Yep. Well, just wait uh, for 30 years from now when John Boyega will be desperate to play Boss Biggis. <laughs> oh. <laughs> just Boye- Boss Boyegas. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, so, my kids love Batman moment. Okay, I have nothing for this mm-hmm. one. This premise was obviously crafted from the ground up for maximum child appeal and executed flawlessly. I cannot imagine any young child not listing this among their favorite episodes and watching it again and again if they were lucky enough to record it on VHS. Oh my god. Just the, what what is here for a kid though, seriously? There's not, a strip club scene at the beginning, which is uh <laughs> slightly over the edge of all the rest of it, but yeah. Well, they do pan by a strip club, you're right. But seriously, like like you guys again were what eight or ten or whatever when yep. this was mm-hmm. out. Like what what element of this episode appeal would have appealed to you? Like in the last one, there was at least some Batman punching some guys. Yeah, uh, this is one of the ones where I would read an issue, like a copy of Nintendo Power until the fucking the the fight scene at the end. This uh-huh. is I'm gonna say, and this is why I get so excited about this show and keep talking about episodes that I'm not guessing on. Um, is that. This is the first TV show that I can really clearly remember watching. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, this is not the first TV show I've watched. I got, you know, we, as my brother has discussed, we watched the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was I was big into Star Trek The Next Generation by 92. Um, but, like, this is a show that I remember, like, watching. And this is, like, this is my show. I watch this show. I know this show. I've seen every episode. And so I yeah, have... Yeah, everybody shut up, Batman's on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have these clear memories of, like, seeing these episodes for the first time. And, like, the 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 first, like, cliffhanger that I was really aware of was Two-Face. And I was, like, running around the house. I must have been intolerable um, <laughs> after that explosion happened. I was, like, I was, like, freaking out. I was, like, oh, my gosh, what's he gonna look like? Because, you know, I had seen some Two-Face. Like, I don't know. But this episode, I very distinctly remember watching and being, like, confused like and not like not in any like major way just in like this doesn't seem right mm-hmm. this episode just seems this well, isn't very this, little this, batman this shouldn't batman be episode. this way <laughs> there's not a lot of batman i don't know who this is and even as a kid like i had read i had this um like a little trade paperback like or a little mass market paperback of the untold legend of the batman which oh was i like, remember that yeah 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 it was a little little black and white like it was just like sold in actual bookstores yeah there were a few um, of those if i recall yeah but it was like all his origin story and like a little bit of like all the villains and everything and um mm-hmm. so like i was i was decently familiar with uh the history of the character mm. uh even as an eight years old boy but mm-hmm. um yeah, no, I was just like, this This villain is nothing. This story is nothing. Everything about this seems off. Bad. Well, so. And I was, I was also reading that their motive for the story, again, like mm-hmm. came from someplace good, which was they wanted to do a story where they stripped Batman of like all his gadgets mm-hmm. and like all his bat stuff and even his connections in the city. And just like, what's under all that? What still makes him a hero? And they would later apply this to maybe my favorite episode of Justice League, which mm-hmm. was where Superman finds himself uh, on what he thinks is a planet with a red sun and has no powers and has uh-huh. to like 
basically wander one. this wasteland without yeah. powers and figure out what the fuck's going on. And that and was Va- so good. And Vandal Savage is still kicking it. <laughs> yeah, course. but this is that same basic idea, but done very poorly. Like, mm-hmm. there is, as Matt points out, there is a good person in Bruce Wayne. Like, it's not all Batman. There's there's a good guy there. And they didn't really, like, they, there were ways to pull this off, and they did not do any of them. Yeah. For what it's worth, I do not remember the Underdwellers at all. <laughs> oh, well, I do. I did not remember the- it as a child. I barely remember it now. I fell asleep three times watching it. <laughs> That was one of those ones that would roll around occasionally, and I would just go, This one again? Yeah. Let's see what's on the other channel that has cartoons. The The worst part. 100% Brian feels like a guy that you would cosplay as, though. (laughs) You'd think think that. Um, The the, the worst part about falling asleep watching it is that I only ever woke up when the Sewer King was yelling. (laughs) Well, that's because it's silent for most of the third act. (laughs) All right, we need to wrap things up. You guys have anything else about the Forgotten? Uh, I have a quote. Yes, what do you got? Uh, it's the introduction of Boss Big Ass, where um, they just, in real short order, let you know exactly what he's all about. Here it is. <laughs> they sure fucking do. Why aren't these lowlifes working? They have to eat, sir. I have to eat. They have to work. And from now on, they'll bring me twice the gold ore. Short order, fat chance. <laughs> yeah, just, just yeah, terrible. Just, uh, here I am. Uh, I'm lazy. I like food, and I want gold. <laughs> those are uh, my, those are my three things. Don't expect any more. <laughs> when, when he first appeared, Amanda's immediate reaction is, "Oh, it's that guy from Overdrawn at the Memory Bank." <laughs> Fingal, I've got you. Yep. Uh huh. <laughs> Very good. Actually, no, that because that dude was trying to do Sydney Green Street, and that would make this a lot right. better. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm afraid I must get the Batman. <laughs> yeah, this guy wasn't trying to do anything other than screaming. And eat. And eating. Don't forget eat. Yes. All right. Uh, anything else? No, I do yeah. believe that is it. Very well. Well, Brian, you yes. uh, produce a couple of fine projects on your own. Why don't you tell the fine people about those? Uh, I finally will. Uh, the do do do. Now wait. Finally is already a word. Was... What? Well, you said fine projects and fine people, and so I said I finally will. But then I realized finally oh, yes. is already a word. And... Oh, I thought you were saying finally, as in yeah. at last we get to plug my stuff. Well, that's exactly. <laughs> I did. I didn't want to sound impatient. Hmm. It's all gone wrong. Edit this out. Um. <laughs> Now, I uh, I produce uh, the uh, Tinseltown, the holiday movie podcast, uh, where we review the uh, finest in holiday films. Uh, I will say most recently, uh, a uh, Canadian mall crime caper slash ghost movie called Christmas oh. in Wonderland, which oh, is oh, maybe the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Look, if you've ever wanted to see a movie where uh, the criminals are played by Chris Kattan, the least famous guy from Jackass, and Carmen Electra, boy, do I have the Canadian film for you. I don't think anybody wants that. No, I certainly don't. <laughs> and yet they got it. Patrick Swayze's <laughs> but, also in it. <laughs> but you have also, to be clear, mm-hmm. reviewed good movies. Yes, with, yes. With, we... with me, you have covered uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. With with Matt, you have covered a Batman movie. Yes, ba- Batman Christmas. Returns, which actually mm-hmm. I will say, uh, if that is, if you want like one episode, that's a really good one. Um, yeah. I think it's, I think it demonstrates the finest of what we do mm. uh, in terms of saying what we like, saying we don't like, and coming up with pun titles, because I'm still very proud of Walking in a Winter Wonderland. Very good. Oh. Well-known Batman <laughs> character Max Shrek runs once again, and yeah, uh, he'll never show up in any of these animated series. I was actually enough. surprised that he hasn't even shown up in the comics or anything. Even King Tut has made uh, occasional yeah. appearances here and there. No, we were yeah, talking about that like, a couple of weeks back. That feels like one of those, you know, someone who grew up in the '90s, like a, a, a comics writer about your age, mm-hmm. would say, "Oh, I loved this character as a kid. He's going in there." Yeah, you'd think Tom King would throw in Max Shrek at least once. Yeah, right. Um, but yes. Oh, right. and I also it, do a uh, new and a bit alarming where I review remakes of movies. We are currently on Aladdin. Um, it's good stuff. We watched it all mm. in one day and we went a little crazy. So. <laughs> and, and by Aladdin, you mean the recent... Uh, the uh, Yes, the 2019 remake of Aladdin featuring yeah, the I... very important and good character, Hakeem. <laughs> all right, then. He's a real character who is very so, important. 
I ask you this every time, and you're never prepared to answer. How yes. about this time? How do we find these shows? Uh, the uh, the one you go to holidaymovies.tumblr.com, or you go onto mm-hmm. the uh, just onto your whatever podcatching device and search for Tinseltown. And the other one, uh, I don't bother advertising, so you just do new and a bit alarming, and uh, it's there, and it's good, and it's funny, and. Um, uh, also, I'm occasionally on uh, Endeavor, which is a mm-hmm. very good uh, Star Trek uh, podcast uh, produced by uh, some very handsome gentlemen. Uh, that's what I've always said. Are they are they disgustingly fat and yelling about gold ore? <laughs> Not usually. Um, okay, yes, but that's a good show and it's well worth listening to, even if they did kill off the best character. Um... <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> 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 Never heard of it. Nope. Don't care. <laughs> Uh, so yes, All right. good stuff. So, next time, apparently another Joker episode, <laughs> uh-huh. because uh, a week has gone by where we haven't talked about the Joker. And uh, also Two-Face. Yeah. So, yes. Um, to that. Possibly your first good good, because again, good, just playing off my kid memories, I've been re-watching these week by week so that I can keep up with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not saying this as an adult, but my kid memories, I kind of liked that Joker episode. Yeah, we'll that's so what far, I remember too. So far, he's been underwhelming. And yeah, it was actually your brother who pointed out, like, uh, guys, everyone remembers the Joker being good. Is he good? <laughs> like, I hope so. All right, uh, yeah, that's all for this time. We'll get there. I hope. Yeah. All right, Matt. Say your thing, please. Yeah. See you guys, folks. Okay. See you, folks. Good lord, folks. They're folks. For more information about this show and the people who make it, visit kidslovebatman.com. To provide financial support for this show and all of the shows produced by Algar Productions, consider a pledge at patreon.com algar. That's double A-L-G-A-R. The Kids Love Batman podcast is a co-production of Matt Robotham and Ron Algar Watt. Copyright 2020, Algar Productions. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.